Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Happy Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. I love, love this feast day. And it's not just a feast day. It is one of the highest feast days on the church calendar, which is why it's referred to as a solemnity. So if you've ever wondered what's the difference between a feast day and solemnity, there you go. This is a day where the church is pointing our attention to a particular teaching of the church or person in the church. And today it's the Blessed Virgin Mary and it is her Immaculate Conception. This is why it's actually a holy day of obligation if you've not made it to Mass Please still look around. There still probably should be some opportunities to go to Mass. I know a lot of parishes will have a later 7 p.m. or later Mass available as well. So this is one of those great mysteries of our faith, and that is the Immaculate Conception. It's always been believed and understood and lived out in the teaching of the Church, but never officially proclaimed dogmatically till actually much more recently just a little over 150 years ago, or actually a little, just a year less than 150 years ago. And I want to share with you why I believe that is, why that's so prophetic, what the Immaculate Conception is, and some of the ancient writings on the Immaculate Conception that we have that really dive into helping us understand the significance of Our Lady Immaculately Conceived. What does that mean? Most simply speaking, it means Our Lady was born without original sin. Now, I know there's not really a favorable attitude towards sin or the devil in modern day culture, but no matter which way you try to skirt it, the truth and reality is, is that our actions are either good or bad, virtuous or sinful. And whether we like it, there's everything is black and white. It really is. There is a heaven and there's a hell. And Our Lady stands as that beacon of hope that symbol of perfection. But here's what's so significant about it. She stands as a symbol of the perfection of the human person. Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully man. Our Lady is not God. She is fully human. And no person has had a greater grace than she. Part of what's always stunned me about the greeting of the angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, a greeting that we say over and over again, perhaps when you pray your Hail Mary, that in that greeting of the angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary at the Annunciation, he actually does not refer to Mary by name. If you read the original Greek text, it's actually that Gabriel comes to her and says, Hail Grace. And he he refers to her as grace, not as Mary. We pray the Hail Mary. We say, Hail Mary, full of grace. The angel comes to her and calls her by this name, Grace. Why? Because she embodies the grace of God from the dawn of creation. 
In fact, we'll discuss how she was intended from the dawn of creation by God, and that this is one of the key beliefs of many theologians dating all the way back to many of the early church fathers and saints till today. So what is the Immaculate Conception? I believe the Immaculate Conception is truly transformative for the culture we live in. We live in a time where I mentioned earlier, your actions don't matter. Everything's gray. Nothing's black and white. There's no such thing as sin or the devil, heaven or hell. Everything's neutral. Nothing really matters. It's interesting. I was reading a study earlier this week about how millennials, they don't trust religion. They don't believe not only in religion, but they also don't trust anything in general. Why? Because they, we live in a culture of absolute ambiguity. Nothing is true, therefore nothing is false. And Our Lady stands as a contradiction, that she was faithful to God because he was first faithful to her. And she gives us that example of how we are meant to live our lives, that we receive everything from God and we are meant to give it all back completely, totally to him. And that even in the midst of our fallen human nature, it is possible to fully unite ourselves to him. Our Lady, we know through church teaching was not only immaculately conceived, born without any sin, but she was also assumed into heaven, body and soul. Mary's a beacon of light for humanity at a time when the human person has been utterly and completely degraded to such an extent that we reject the very idea of who and what we are by our very nature. We reject even the idea of being male or female. We reject today that death is a reality with all of this transhumanist eternal life attempts. And you see it in novels, you see it in television. But I mean, if you look at what's happening with everything from artificial intelligence to the transhumanist debate and technological advancements, many people are turning to it as a means to live forever. Just upload your body to the cyber world. You see, the proclamation of the Immaculate Conception as defined by Pope Pius IX in 1854 clarified a dogma that was always believed and lived out in the tradition of the church. It's talked about often the saints. In fact, many of the saints who I'm speaking of today, all of them lived prior to the dogma being proclaimed in 1854 of the Immaculate Conception. They all understood that Our Lady was preserved from sin. Yet the church waited until 1854, right before the bloodiest century in human history known, that they waited, the church waited, the Holy Spirit waited to inspire the church to really drill down and say, listen, Our Lady is immaculately conceived. Celebrate this feast day, not just the conception of Our Lady. Celebrate it as a solemnity of the immaculate conception of of Our Lady by the grace of God. This is prophetic and this is timely for the church, especially over the last couple hundred years. As I mentioned, with the bloodiest last century in human history, you had the First World War, the Second World War. You had abortion worldwide. I mean, we talk a lot about abortion statistics in the United States, but we don't talk enough of abortion statistics even higher in places such as Russia and others, China. It's barbaric. The statistics pointing to millions upon millions of lives unfathomably even counted that have been lost. 
in the proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception is defined by Pope Pius IX in 1854. He said, Blessed Virgin Mary from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, was preserved free from every stain of original sin in a doctrine revealed by God and for this reason must be firmly and constantly believed by all the faithful. A really neat story if you read the story of St. Bernadette and the apparition of Our Lady at Lourdes. St. Bernadette was the visionary who first saw Our Lady as a little girl. Here she is going to gather wood for her family to stay warm, and she has a vision of Our Lady. This tiny little lady, she didn't even know it was the Blessed Virgin Mother. She just knelt down and start pray, started praying her rosary with this tiny little lady in the grove there at Lourdes. And people didn't believe her. She started to tell, she, at first she said, don't tell anyone. And then some of the other little girls who were with her, who she told, started telling family members that got around to the church. It got around to the local parish priest that even the judge in the community calls her in. And the priest at one point is kind of accusing her. Hey, Bernadette, stop lying. And finally he goes, okay, if, if what you're saying is true, go ask her what her name is. Now, Bernadette was not highly educated at all. And it was also the time before the internet and mass communication. And just prior to that, within, I believe, a year of 1854, it was very close proximity. The dogma of the Immaculate Conception had been defined by Pope Pius IX. And so here this priest is telling this uneducated, not very well catechized little girl, Bernadette, well, okay, if she's really appearing to you, go and ask her what her name is. Who is she? And Our Lady says to Bernadette, I am the Immaculate Conception. And the priest believed Bernadette, believed Bernadette that she was actually seeing an apparition and not just an apparition, but an apparition of Our Lady because there was no possible way that Bernadette would have known about the Immaculate Conception, what it was. It was only clearly defined just about a year prior. And so this dogma, it, it points to Our Lady. She waited till a time in history to affirm and confirm how full of grace she truly was. The tradition was there in the church the last 2,000 years, but it wasn't until the 19th century that our gaze as people of faith was guided by the church, guided by the Holy Spirit to look at her and say, you were immaculately conceived. And think this, if Our Lady was immaculately conceived, what can that mean for us? This dogma upholds not only the Blessed Virgin Mary, but it shows the value of the human person, the value of you, the value of me, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't live up to our fullest potential, even when we fail in sin, that our God can conquer anything and preserve us from sin and preserve us for himself if we will only cooperate. Pope St. John Paul II said, Blessed Virgin is free from every stain of sin. It was explained to me like this when I was in undergraduate school and graduate school by Professor Michael Barber, Dr. Michael Barber. He said, if you look at the Immaculate Conception, we have this idea of original sin, a reality of original sin, that because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who lived in this original state of perfection when it came to union with God, that when they fell, they left the mark of original sin. And that mark being the fact that we had sinned and we cannot merit heaven on our own, but also that we have concupiscence, that tendency towards sin, that mark was there. 
But with Our Lady, God said, you know what, I'm going to preserve you from ever falling into, from ever stumbling into that hole that could leave a blemish on your skin, a mark on your face, a wound on your body. God preserved Our Lady from ever falling into that hole, into that stain of original sin. And that you and I, because of the very creation and origin of ourselves from Adam and Eve, still have that sin. But God, in his great mercy, can and did preserve Our Lady from it. An encyclical from 1953 by Pope Pius XII speaks of the very singular privilege which was never granted to another person apart from Mary, and that is her Immaculate Conception. This dates back even prior or sorry, later, about 100 years after the proclamation of the Immaculate Conception, that this was such a significant privilege, such a significant gift, that we see this grace transforms the very life of Our Lady and what she will do. What will she do? She will become the mother of God. We refer to her as mediatrix, that she helped to mediate, to bring about the salvation of the world by her fiat, by her grace-filled life. Pope Pius XI adds that it must be firmly and constantly believed by all the faithful. That is the Immaculate Conception. Consequently, if we don't make this doctrine our own, if we fail to subscribe to what the church teaches and understand that Our Lady, not understanding, but believing, trusting, and adhering to the fact that Our Lady was immaculately conceived, Pope Pius XI says we are shipwreck in faith. If we do not believe in the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that's pretty profound. If we do not subscribe to the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, we are shipwrecked in our faith. And we separate, he says it separates us from Catholic unity. You see, when we don't fall in line with what the church teaches, when we have, well, I, don't, I know this is what the church teaches, but I don't really believe that, or I don't want to live that out. That's when we start to become prideful. We start to say the God, the creator of the universe, who is infinitely more knowledgeable than us, who knows all, who is all-powerful, omniscient, all-powerful, all-potent. He is all in all. He is everything. He is the perfection of beauty. He is truth itself. That if we don't believe in the very things that he's teaching us through the church, then we fail in our faith. But here's what's wonderful. It's not saying you have to understand it. It's saying that you have to subscribe to what the church teaches. And when we fail to follow what the church has taught us, when we're ultimately struggling to believe in the transformative grace of God, because the Immaculate Conception, I really do kind of ponder and understand what Pope Pius IX is saying, that we're shipwrecked in faith if we don't believe the in the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady. Because Our Lady is that symbol of hope. She is the Immaculate Conception. She shows us that Jesus Christ transforms all, that we are transformed by grace. I want to come back in just a moment here, diving into the discourse of Mary's Immaculate Conception as discussed by one of my favorite saints, and that is St. Alphonsus Liguori, who deeply loved Our Lady. He actually has more than one full book on her, but we'll dive into some of the significance of the teaching and theology of Our Lady as Immaculately Conceived. Stay with me. I'll be right back here on Trending.
solemnity of Our Lady, who is immaculately conceived. I mean, she was preserved from all sin. And we've been taking a deep dive into what that means. It's always been a lived-out belief and tradition of the Church. But it wasn't until just about 150 years ago, a little more than that, 18, or sorry, 19, I'm stumbling over my words, 1854, that Our Lady was proclaimed dogmatically as immaculately conceived. And I was reading from... St. Alphonsus Liguori. He has a whole discourse on Mary's Immaculate Conception. And very, very beautiful. It's actually from a book called The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus Liguori. And I'm guilty. I have not read this one yet. And you all know that I love St. Alphonsus Liguori. So I'm going to posting a link to it on social media because I'm hoping that you will read it because this one chapter on the discourse of Mary's Immaculate Conception that I was reading this morning online is phenomenal. He points to a key point in the fact that Our Lady was immaculately conceived. And he said that it's been believed by the fathers of the church that he says, quote, that God the Father should preserve Mary from the stain of original sin because she was his daughter and his firstborn daughter. As she herself declares, I came out of the mouth of the Most High, the firstborn before all creatures. Now, here's what's fascinating. That's actually a quote from Sirach chapter 24. It's always been believed by the church fathers and even St. Thomas Aquinas and others that that line from Sirach 24, which is part of the Old Testament, is actually attributed to Our Lady. And I know that's a little kind of crazy to say, but think about our Holy Spirit working in outside of time, the Holy Spirit working, that Our Lady was always intended as a firstborn of God and that God is outside of time. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. I came out of the mouth of the Most High, the firstborn before all creatures. It goes back to this idea that when God created the world, he created, he saved the best for last. The first intended was the last executed. And I think this is really interesting because here we see this idea that Our Lady was intended as immaculately conceived, this perfection of his daughter, the perfection of womanhood, the perfection of motherhood. All is what embodies Our Lady, the perfection of being a sister. This is what is embodied. The ultimate woman is the Blessed Virgin Mary. We read in St. Alphonsus Liguori's treatise on the Immaculate Conception. He says, This being the case, it was quite becoming that Mary should never have been the slave of Lucifer, but only and always possessed by her creator. And this she is in reality. It is interesting. So he's saying that Mary was never a slave of the devil. And that is appropriate, that she was always fully possessed by God, her creator. It's a little startling when I read that language because I realized I'm a sinner. I am a fallen human being. I have concupiscence. I need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in confession. This is why we have these penance services. This is why we have confession, that great sacrament of reconciliation from the church where God, by the blood of the Lamb, blots out all of our sins. And this is why St. Alphonse Liguori says Mary should never have been the slave of Lucifer. And she wasn't. It was becoming that she wasn't. It was becoming that God preserved her from the stain of sin, but also from being a slave to the devil. And that when, so the conclusion is I need confession. I'm a sinner. I am enslaved to the devil when I sin. Have you ever thought about that? 
And I started at the beginning of the show mentioning that we live in a time and place where we don't like to think about things as black and white. We think everything's gray. Everything's mushy. There's no such thing as truth, which means there's no such thing as a lie. There's no such thing as something being false. But Our Lady contradicts that. She is the embodiment of the perfection of God lived out in the human person. Again, she may have been last in creation, but first in intention by God. In other words, although he created Adam and Eve, although he created all of the human people prior to Our Lady immaculately conceived in St. Anne's womb, that doesn't mean that she wasn't intended from the dawn of creation. This is what the early church fathers, this is what Thomas and specifically St. Thomas Aquinas believe that Our Lady was intended from the dawn of the creation as the firstborn in concept of God. Because remember, God the Father is not material. So firstborn in concept, born in concept, he had this concept of Our Lady and she was immaculately conceived. Even those words, concept, conception, we see the significance of the conception of Our Lady is immaculate pure and perfect and that it would only be fitting that she is the one that is the mother of god she is the one to house to hold to carry jesus christ her son and so i challenge you to ponder the beauty of her creation and the totality of her gift in union with god and contrast that to the reality that you and i do sin and in that we do become slaves, as St. Alphonsus Liguori says, to Lucifer, to the devil himself. But by the grace of God, we receive the graces to combat sin, to live united to Jesus Christ, to remain in his body, to be a part of the vine. For the vine and the branches to be one. St. Alphonsus Liguori says, Besides this, it was quite becoming that the Eternal Father should create her, that is Mary, in his grace, since he destined her to be the repairer of the lost world and the mediatress of peace between men and God. And as such, she is looked upon and spoken of by the Holy Fathers. So he's saying that Our Lady was destined to repair the lost world, to repair lost humanity, to repair the fallen and broken apart pieces of your life, of my life, by being the mediatress, that is the woman who mediated and bringing and saying yes to our Lord Jesus Christ, becoming man, conceived in her womb. St. Alphonse Liguori goes on to say, but if Mary was to be that valiant woman brought into the world to conquer Lucifer, certainly it was not becoming that she should first, that he should first conquer her and make her his slave. But it was reasonable that she, that is Mary, should be preserved from all stain and even momentarily and, and never even momentary subjection to her opponent, that is the devil. And so Our Lady was brought about to crush the head of Satan. We we read about this, the Proto-Evangelium, even in Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall of Adam and Eve, we read this prophecy as how he will strike at her heel and she will strike at his head. That is the image of Our Lady crushing the head of Satan. Our Lady is created in innocence for God's domain, not Satan's. And believe me when I say this, this is God's intention for you and I. Yet, because of our sinfulness, because of our concupiscence, time and time again, we turn our backs on God. But his intention for us is total, complete, perfect 
loving, steadfast union with him. Maybe you don't believe me. Well, okay, if you don't believe me, why on earth would he give us his body and blood? Why on earth would he give us the sacrament of reconciliation? Why would he give us anointing of the sick, last unction, last rites? Like, why would he give us all of these grace-filled sacraments to infuse us with the grace of God to be made worthy to enter into his life in heaven? Mary as a mediatrix ushers in the life of the world to come with Christ. His grace can reign in our lives just as it reigns in hers. St. John Damascene also addresses Our Lady saying, O blessed virgin, thou was born that thou might minister to the salvation of the whole world. That was the very purpose of her creation, to minister to the salvation of the whole world, to intervene and helping to draw us into the life of her son by preparing the way for her son, by first being prepared by Christ. Are you struggling in your in your family? Are you struggling with some sin that you're combining? Are you struggling with addiction? That's okay. Why? Because by the grace of God, he can obliterate that. If we will only have steadfast faith, steadfast faith that even in the midst of struggling, we remain faithful. There's an image of Our Lady, and actually, it's not just Our Lady. If you look at language in historically the female body, words for women, uh, words of things that carry things, as we know in other languages, often have different endings. Different words have different endings, male and female endings. And so certain words are considered male words. Certain words are considered female words. And we don't get, we don't have this in the English language. It's very lost on us. But for example, a a word such as oven or words such as boat in other languages, we could get into Greek, we could get into Latin. They have female endings. In other words, it's a female word. And so, for example, the word boat or oven, things that house other things are used in feminine language. In other words, there's something feminine about these things. It's understood that women are things that house things, that carry, that bear things. We think about a woman's body physically capable of carrying human life. And so this brings me to this imagery of where maybe you've heard of Our Lady as referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament held the holiest objects in the Old Testament. And our Lady is referred to as the new Ark of the Covenant because she, how she carried our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's another image maybe you haven't heard before, and that is that Noah's Ark is a prefigurement of Mary, that Our Lady is the new Ark, that Our Lady is Noah's Ark. He's a t- Noah's Ark is a type of Mary. So St. Bernard says that Noah's Ark was a type of Mary, for as by it means men are preserved from the deluge, so are we also saved by Mary from the shipwreck of sin. But with the difference, that is the Ark, few were saved, and by Mary, the whole human race was rescued from death. So in other words, what he's saying is, Noah's Ark was a type of Our Lady. Through the Ark, a few people were preserved. Through Our Lady, the whole of the human race was rescued from death. Because prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, the gates of heaven were shut off from the human race. Through God, we've all been redeemed. The human race has been redeemed. It's possible to be with Christ again. 
We're still working out our individual salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ. St. Alphonsus Liguori says, Still more, it was becoming that God should preserve Mary from original sin, for he destined her to crush the head of that infernal serpent. We read in Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head. That is Our Lady intended since the dawn of creation. That is the gospel, the summary, that proto-evangelion, that early gospel of seeing the good news shared due to the intervention of Our Lady, a woman, the woman. And so I really do love that image of Our Lady as a type of Noah's Ark, that she bore us, bore the human race to be rescued from death. She saves us from the deluge as Noah's Ark saved the animals and his few family members from the destruction of the world. The destruction of the world is happening now. Every single day we participate in that destruction through sin. But by God's grace, we preserve and we persevere the very life of God within us. St. Bernadine of Siena remarks, because God destined Mary to be the mother of his only begotten son, she was, quote, preordained in the mind of God before all creatures that thou might beget God himself as man. So yet again, St. Bernadine of Siena, like the early church fathers, like St. Thomas Aquinas, he agrees that Our Lady was preordained in the mind of God, that she was conceived in the mind of God. She was a concept in the mind of God before all creatures. That God might give him his very self to you and I. Isn't that incredible? I think it's something for us to ponder. Something for us to say, I don't quite get the Immaculate Conception, but I do have a glimpse of the understanding of the great gift you have bestowed upon us and giving our lady to us as immaculately conceived. And for that, I'm grateful. It's that prayer you heard, I'm sure, years and years ago, over and over again. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You can see a church teaching and you can say, I don't understand it. Help me to believe. I don't understand it. Help me to be in awe of the mystery of your creation, God. Help me to be in awe of the mystery of redemption, the mystery of the potential of my salvation through the through your unmeritorious grace. This is why we celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. She embodies a perfection of humanity because she embodies a life full of grace. And this is why the angel Gabriel, upon greeting her, doesn't say, Hail Mary, full of grace, but actually in the literal translation says, Hail Grace, because she is the embodiment of grace itself. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. I'll come back diving into Our Lady and how she teaches us to understand who and what a woman is and what we can learn as women about our vocation. And if you're a man, what we admire in Our Lady and what we should admire and seek out and build up in women in our culture today.
did Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee is our strength and consolation hope of all the earth thou art dear desire of every nation joy of every longing heart i love advent and i love our lady i hope you do too it's the solemnity of the immaculate conception and we've been celebrating it all hour here on trending if you missed the full show be sure to go and find it in the podcast later today relevantradio.com forward slash trending can also listen on the relevant radio app or wherever you catch your podcast we're there so be sure to subscribe share your favorite episodes of trending with a friend and by the way we're coming up on the end of the year i would love to hear from you what would you love to hear discussed during trending do you have questions about advent or what are new topics and maybe even new guests you would like to hear from here on the show as we start planning for 2024 i can't believe it 2024 is right around the corner today is the great solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, which means Our Lady was conceived without sin. And if you want to learn a little bit more about that, I spoke about what the Immaculate Conception is, some of the significance for our lives, how prophetic and timely it is that the church always practiced and believed that Our Lady was immaculately conceived, but it wasn't until 1854 that it was officially proclaimed by the church as dogma. Why? Because God is so wonderful in knowing these things that we need to know to see the perfection of the human person in Our Lady. That grace transforms the human person. It was prophetic. 1854, ahead of two of the bloodiest century, two world wars, the barbarism that abortion has plagued and the unfathomable number of millions upon millions upon billions of children not just in the United States, but in Russia, in China, where the numbers of abortions have occurred over the last hundred years are outrageous. They're unfathomable. What happens in 1854 before all of this? The church turns our gaze, saying, meditate upon this, meditate upon Our Lady, immaculately conceived, free of all sin. So this is what we've dove into all hour today on Trending, and I want to look at this from the perspective of womanhood. Ridiculously so, what it means to be a woman is under rapid fire today in politics, in the attempt to redefine Title IX by President Biden and his administration, in school systems with 11-year-olds, 11-year-old girls being told that little boys can sleep with them in the same bed on field trips. We talked about that at the beginning of the week. These stories that are so outrageous. What is under fire? Womanhood. But not just womanhood. If womanhood is called into question, so is manhood. What it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. But I think this feast day of the Immaculate Conception is a day to really ponder what God intended from the dawn of creation. Earlier here on the show, I spoke to how it's actually the belief of the early church fathers, St. Thomas Aquinas, and many saints throughout all of the church who believe that the Blessed Virgin Mary was actually 
first intended, was the firstborn of God, and that she was intended before the dawn of creation, before the rest of creation, but she was executed later. That whole idea of first in, first in concept, first in idea, but last in execution, the pinnacle of creation, that is Our Lady. And with that, we see that if she was, as the church father, St. Thomas Aquinas and other saints like St. Alphonsus Liguori, believed that Our Lady was intended from the dawn of creation, then she is the pinnacle of womanhood. In St. Alphonsus Liguori's work on the discourse of Mary's Immaculate Conception, which I'm posting on social media, you can actually read this part of one of his books um, online. In that, he says, from this general misfortune, that is the fall of Adam and Eve, God was pleased to exempt that blessed virgin whom he had destined to be the mother of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who was to repair the evil done by the first. So it's believed that Our Lady was intended by the, from the dawn of creation, that she was destined from the beginning of creation to be the mother, not just of Jesus, but of Jesus Christ, who is looked at in theology as the second Adam. Adam messed it up. He got manhood wrong. Jesus Christ shows us the perfection of the human person, perfection of the man. He is the second Adam. And from the dawn of creation intended was Our Lady as Eve to be the mother of Jesus, to be the new mother of all the living. Because Adam named his wife Eve, which means mother of all the living. And Our Lady is considered mother of all the living. The mother Mary is considered a mother of the church. Mary is considered our mother. Mary is given to us by Jesus Christ at the cross. John the Apostle, in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, we read of Our Lady being given to John, who is a representation of you and I and every single person. For he says, woman, behold your son. And he tells John, behold your mother. You see, we live in a culture where we, we truly do struggle to get motherhood right. But clearly, this has been a struggle for instance, since the dawn of creation. Eve didn't understand her femininity. Eve didn't understand what it meant to be a woman. She failed. She fell in the garden. Whether the true fall had to do with truly eating literally from that one tree, or whether the original sin of Adam and Eve was something different. What we know is that Eve got it wrong. And Our Lady, to be mother of all the living, shows that it's not only that women are meant to materially bear children, but actually it points to how from Eve to Our Lady and in the perfection of Our Lady, that women are meant to rear children spiritually for the fullness of life in God. And that is what a woman is created for, spiritual motherhood. And not all women will have children. In fact, there's a whole vocation within the church. It's called virginity and consecrated virginity of a religious, where you don't have children. But yet the head, the mother superior, the head of the convent, the head of all of the sisters is referred to as mother. Why? Our lady was referred to as mother. She's not biologically our mother. But she is our mother. And this is something I strive so deeply to teach my daughters now. I love the work of St. Edith Stein. St. Edith Stein, who uh, lived during World War II and died in Auschwitz. And her work 
is phenomenal and she has a whole curriculum essentially of teaching what we should be teaching to girls what should be female education the jokes i mean i always thought i'd have like all boys i just had this like gut feeling that was obviously very wrong because i have two girls and i remember just reading that over and over again i want to reread it now and i say that is St. Edith Stein's work on what we should be teaching girls. What what should we set as their example? What should we teach them in terms of virtues and models? And St. Edith Stein comes over and over again to teach the girls about Our Lady. Teach the girls to value virginity and to love virginity. This is who and what Our Lady is. She's a mother. She's a wife. She's a virgin. What are some of the virtues of Our Lady? That's what I'd like to drill down on just a little bit because I think in understanding the Immaculate Conception, we must understand femininity. And to understand femininity in the Blessed Virgin Mary and her Immaculate Conception, we need to understand two things, that she is full of grace and she is mother. She's a mother of God, the Theotokos, and she is a mother of all the living, the new Eve given to John, who's a representative of you and I, to the whole church. And so what are some of her virtues? What does she embody that every single one of us, male and female, can imitate, but also specifically women can strive for, both materially and spiritually? I'll start with probably the hardest one. And it really is so. But when I think about Our Lady, and I'm talking about this tomorrow at the event I'm speaking at with Father Tim in Los Angeles, I think of when I hear this, I think of Our Lady, when I think of her name, when I think of who she is and what she does, I think of her obedience. Our Our Lady is obedient. We see this even in her fiat. That is the yes she gives to the angel Gabriel. The tradition holds that Our Lady was praying, probably praying the Psalms when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. Saying, Hail Grace, the Lord is with thee. And there Our Lady, when asked to become the mother of the Savior, says, Yes, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, be it done unto me according to thy word. Total trust, absolute obedience, total fidelity to what God has in store for her. She goes. She gives her entire body. She gives her entire life. She even gives her reputation obediently out of love to God. How ironic that we have a holy day of obligation. We're called to obediently follow the church. And maybe if you have felt a little disgruntled by having a holy day of obligation, quote, having to go to church, think about what Our Lady obediently and faithfully said yes to. We're much obliged to go to church. Obligation used to be considered a good thing, especially until the last century. Our Lady, I think about of her, her obedience even in the flight to Egypt. We read that the angel came to Joseph in a dream, not to Our Lady. Blindly, she had to follow as a young, brand new mother, having just had a child, already having traveled to Bethlehem. I don't even, we don't even know if they necessarily made it back to Nazareth. They then flee to Egypt in the night. That flight to Egypt, she had to obediently follow her husband who was leading, protecting, and providing for their family. And then even a certain level of obedience that I think occurs when she loses, her and Joseph lose Jesus when he's about 12 years old, and they travel back to Jerusalem and find him in the temple. 
And instead of scolding her, she just asks, why have you done this to us? And he says, that basically, he's in his father's house. This is where he's supposed to be. And she holds her tongue. Respectfully, obediently, already submitting, showing even in this young 12-year-old boy her total self-gift to her son. Then we see even when, even when Our Lady calls Jesus to do something, when she asks him to do something. For example, we see Our Lady embodies the virtue of generosity. When at the wedding feast of Cana, when the wine runs dry, which would be considered a huge humiliation at a wedding at that point in civilization, in human history, in Judaism, it would be a scandal. It's embarrassing. It's a travesty. And so she asks her son to perform this miracle of transforming. Well, she didn't know this is how it would be done. She just said, they have no wine. He says, woman, what, what is that to me? And she looks at the servers and says, do whatever he tells you. She shows her obedience to him, that her obedience comes with fidelity to him. Her obedience comes with love to him, but first from him. And she's generous in her obedience. She's generous in her faith. She helps to prevent others from experiencing humiliation, but she also helps to inspire people in their faith, knowing that he can work a miracle. She knew he didn't have wine. She knew she was asking him to perform a miracle. This is why Jesus himself even says, woman, it's not my time yet. This isn't when I plan to publicly reveal myself. But she still says, do whatever he tells you. In other words, it's your time. This is now. She's generous because she gives us her son even sooner than she had to. She could have held on to him privately without all of these public miracles for some time longer. Who knows how much longer it would have been. She's also pious. She has that virtue of piety. She's reverent. She's religious. We read in the example of the story of the presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the temple after his birth and the finding of Jesus in the temple. We read that she, our lady, pondered these things in her heart. When she pondered the fact that Simeon predicted that a sword would pierce her heart and the fall and rise of the world that would come essentially through Jesus Christ. She also pondered these things in her heart when she lost Jesus for three days and then finds him in the temple and he says he's in his father's house doing his father's work. She ponders these things in her heart. Instead of reacting, responding, becoming angry, becoming overwhelmed, becoming sorrowful, all of those very human emotions that are very legitimate and very valid, Our Lady instead piously, reverently, religiously ponders these things in her heart. It's inspiration for us to hold to that virtue of prayer. And Our Lady embodies the virtues of humility and gratitude. We see this, for example, when she says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. She says this when she greets Elizabeth after Elizabeth greets her, saying, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Or even her words when she says, Be it done unto me according to thy word. Her humility of saying, I will follow. I obey. Your will be done. Come, Lord Jesus. Our Lady is the embodiment of the grace-filled life. And she is the example and the inspiration and the hope that we too can live a life full of grace. Our Lady immaculately conceived without sin. Pray for us.